7 to 8 p.m. Sport on with Tabiso Musia. And a very good evening. Welcome to the show. I am uh, Tabiso Musia. Leolom Kalipi is producing and Sylvester Komani is in a technical with us tonight. It is Friday and as we always do on a Friday. It is Flashback Friday. So we go back in time and we remember our sporting stars of yesteryear or remember our historic sporting moments in South African sport. And tonight is no different. We've got a star of yesteryear in studio with us. Our guest is a former motor racing champion and the son of the soul himself, Chop Sipuka, who was the first black driver to win a national race. The one thing I remember about 2000 was the ANC sending out a statement in all in green and yellow. It was so green, it was so yellow. I couldn't read the words, but I could make out that they were congratulating Chop Sipuka at the time. And he'll talk to us about his motor racing career, Chop Sipuka, and, uh, and what he's up to now and, and, and what he makes of the state of the sport. But before all of that, we will look ahead to the return of the South African teams uh, to Super Rugby action following the Test Series with England. We'll also look ahead to Wimbledon starting on Monday and uh, also the Formula One in, Austra- in Austria rather this weekend. Uh, it's three races in three consecutive uh, three consecutive weekends as far as formula one is concerned so they should be very crucial races and we'll find out from natalie leclue how big these races are and what is what what happened at practice uh, today but for me probably the big story of the past week and i think it was overshadowed uh, by the world cup as everything else has been overshadowed by the world cup was the impressive win of 20 year old golfer jovan rebula who won the british amateur title which sees him in an entry to the british open the masters as well as the u.s open next year and he is the nephew of the great any else and we want to catch up with him just to understand how much this means to him because it is a huge deal but before all of that, let's go over to the UK. And that's where we find South African tennis stalwart Jeff Kutsia will help us with a preview of the Wimbledon Championships. Jeff, a good evening and thank you very much for finding time to speak to us on SAFM. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I know you're not playing anymore, but you're coaching. Who are you coaching there, uh, Jeff? Um, yeah, I'm, I've, uh, I don't play anymore. I'm too old for that, people. <laughs> I'm coaching the two guys from Colombia, double guys, uh, Robert Farah and Juan Sebastian Cabal. They are the six seeds this year at Wimbledon. Ah, oh, great stuff. And how do you rate their chances? Um, they're good. They're not, you know, they're not the, the best on grass, but they, they've certainly gone, um, you know, the last few years they've really uh, stepped it up and uh, worked a lot on their, their uh, body game and stuff. So they're good, big guys, big servers and uh, good returners. So there's no reason for them not to do well it's just a matter of uh, you know sorting out the, the mindset on how to play on grass Wow, great stuff jeff well let's look at the men's draw help us look at the men's draw jeff could see firstly top seed roger fedra tipped by many to win it again is also in good form since he came back winning in stuttgart and reaching the final in hull do you see him going all the way can you bet against him um it's really tough to, to bet against Roger. you know especially on the grass he's won it so many times um, yeah, he maybe didn't, you know, he, he won Stuttgart, whereas before he didn't win it, then he uh, went on to win Haller. But unfortunately, this year, he fell short to Courage in the finals, which Courage played really well. But, you know, he still had so many matches on the grass. And when you've had that many matches coming into Wimbledon with a great week preparation, um, just checking today, actually, I uh, watched about uh, 10, 15 minutes of Roger practice today. And, I mean, the guys is hitting it as clean as ever. So, um, you know, he's got the confidence and uh, it's really tough for me to, to bet against him. If I was a betting man, 
I wouldn't do that. <laughs> he does 1037, though, Jeff could say in a couple of months. How long do you see him going for? Because he has been managing his body like we're seeing other top tennis stars doing so recently. Yeah, I mean, we, we all can't be Roger Federer, you know, to play pretty much a 10-week schedule, it's, it's unheard of, you know. And then if there's one guy that, that probably uh, showed that he can do it is Roger. He did it last year already. He's had so many wings under his belt on grass and going into Wimbledon starting on Monday. He'll open up the, the center court against Lasovic, which is a Serbian guy that's been playing really well, but uh, I think Roger should be able to take that. Um, you know what? For tennis, we want him to play as long as possible, but it depends. If he, if he keeps winning, I'm sure he'll keep playing, but if he if he doesn't and the body allows him, that's just, that's just so key for him, for him to reduce his schedule and be able to play at the highest level and to be able to win, I think that's most important for him uh, uh, to give him that motivation factor. Having said that, though, Rafael Nadal is the world number one, but obviously Wimbledon works with your form on grass, and that's why Roger is the top seed. Rafael Nadal, no such great form on grass, last reached the quarters at Wimbledon, I think, in 2011. Are you counting him as a contender here? Um, you can never, uh, uh, you know, not count Rafa in, you know, if he's won it twice. So I, I feel mm. like if you're going to beat Rafa, it has to be in the first week. Once Rafa gets to the second week, the round of 16, he's a tough cookie, man. He's really tough and he believes more. And if you look at the, the last few years where most guys have beaten him, has been sort of the, the, the first three, four rounds, you know, losing to Dustus. And last year, I think that long match, he lost to Muller. You know, stuff like it just and done the year before. You know, like if, if you want to beat Rafa, it has to be in the first week. Otherwise, if you start playing in the second week, I mean, the guy's such a great competitor. And, uh, and like I said, he's won it twice. So there's no reason for him not to do well. But I, I, I probably would put my money on Roger or, you know, like a guy like Silic has been playing well, one queen. Or even Djokovic of late has been playing really well. You know, I thought he would really go deep in um, at the French Open loss. Uh, he lost that match. Um, in the quarters, and then last week he had the match. He had pretty much uh, the whole match for him, mm. and then Silic came back nicely as Queens to win it. So those are probably my favorites out of the three. I would say Roger, Silic, and uh, Djokovic as an outsider. Well, I'm glad you touched on Silic because I was going to ask you about him. I was there actually last day at Wimbledon where he went all the way to the final and has been in good form, as you said, winning at Queens. But what about South Africa's Kevin Anderson? How's he looking? Yeah. That- Oh, that would be awesome if Kevin can step it up and, you know, like we know he can do. He's had a great, uh, you know, he's always kind of knocked at the door the last few years on grass. You know, we, how can we forget that match against uh, Djokovic the one year? So I feel like, you know, you know what Kevin can do really well. It's just a matter of uh, maintaining um, the body, stay healthy. And, uh, you know, like just again, that first round or two is so key to get through it and not to go five sets because, you know, you don't want to be able to do that. If you can win in three, you win in three. But uh, the most important thing for me, I think uh, Kevin will take it round by round. He's looking good. He's fit and everything. So, um, yeah, you never know. Once Kevin also gets on the roll, he's also tough to beat. And everybody knows that. Nobody really wants to look at the drone like playing Kevin Anderson. Mm. And and what about this young generation, um, Jeff Kutsia? A lot's been said about the kids, about Alexander Zverev, about Dennis and all of them. When do you see them coming through and, and eventually breaking through? I know that um, Alexander said he's number three in the world. He's not, he doesn't see himself as the future. He's already doing it. Yeah, I think if there's one guy we're talking about, so often we, you hear the word the next generation. I think when it comes to Zverev, Alexander Zverev, I don't think 
if you can actually put him to as the next generation. It yeah. feels like he's been there the last few years already. It's mm. more like your other guys, you know, that's been there. And he, out of those lot, he's by far the best. And ranking don't lie, he's number three in the world. Mm. The my the way he played at the French and the way he came through that matches, I think that's a sign of his maturity in the bigger tournaments. I'm in, in, I'm talking about more in Grand Slams. We know he's won a lot of thousands of events, but now for him to set it up best of five. And he's done well in Davis Cup, so there's no reason for him not to do well in, in a Grand Slam. And just by following his match and talking to his trainer a lot, he's definitely, you know, it's sort of uh, taken another step into a slam. And I think that's a positive for him. So hopefully sooner than later we'll, we'll do see him uh, uh, win a slam. Because, I mean, if you look at the... Uh, I, was, I was in the locker room sitting with so many guys like Dominic uh, team because he said, you know, there's no... It's a matter of time. And mm. to win the slam, you, you know, Roger won his slam uh, only, you know, uh, 22 years old. Um, so it's, um, we talk about him so much and we want him to win a slam, but we don't, sometimes you forget the guy's only 21 years old. Mm. You know, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a matter of time. We all know it, it's a matter of time he's going to win a slam and he will take that next step. Looking at the ladies' singles, the big story from the ladies' draw is the seating of Serena Williams. Chibulkova is not happy. As a former pro yourself, do you, well, as a pro yourself, do you think the right decision was made here to seat Serena for Wimbledon? It's tough not to see her. You know, Wimbledon, like you said, um, they always done their own seating. Yeah. And I mean, it's, 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 it's you know, still how much Rafa feels then. Rafa deserves to be number one because the guy works for the number one spot. So he rightfully, he he should be number one, but it's, it's all fair how they do it with the, obviously with the, uh, um, the seeding on, on at Wimbledon. So at least Serena got a seed. Imagine she didn't get a seed. Nobody wants to play her. You don't want Haller or Bosniak or any of these, of these girls, Madurusa, play, uh, Serena Williams first round. So I think in all fairness, it's tough always for the, for the person that doesn't get that seed, but uh, no one's going to really argue than some of the tennis, uh, players that Serena's been seeded. I think everybody thinks half and half is fair. Can't you win it though, ranked number 180 something in the world? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one, you know, which is won it so many times. I think like a uh, uh, French Open again showed that you can play three, four matches. She got a little injured there, but I think that was more to kind of save herself and uh, she knows the best chance to win a slam again. It's, it's grass course the points a little bit shorter and I think that's probably one of her best surfaces. So I feel like you can never... Uh, not counter in and again it depends if Serena wins the first couple of matches and once you get more and more done and and uh, the, for me right now it's just for her to get a bunch of matches in play and obviously to make sure the body is as healthy as possible day in and day out. The ladies draw always seems wide open I mean you've got Simona Halep who broke a Grand Slam duck you've got the defending champion Gabin Muguruza what will it take to win to win it? I think it's going to be interesting. You know, you, you, you don't have, I wouldn't say in the women's draw there's a clear favorite, but I, I feel like uh, Halep has been knocking at the door so many times and finally got that, that, that slam win. And I, I feel like um, she's probably, for me, the favorite uh, going into Wimbledon, but also Vosniecki. Uh, she won mm-hmm. Australia. She, mm-hmm. Now tomorrow she's playing the finals of Eastbourne, so she's got a lot of uh, matches in on grass. And then obviously the defending champion, you, you can never really... Uh, say that she's not going to defend the title. She, she's proven to herself she can do it. And then, then obviously Serena and the other, uh, Kitova is like a, yeah. a, another player for me. If she Two-time plays champion. well, she's m- very healthy now. She's playing really good. She's laughing. She's smiling on the court. She's having fun. 
and she's playing well, and she's won this tournament before. Okay, great stuff, Jeff. Thank you very much for giving us your time just to look ahead to Wimbledon. We wish you all the best of luck with your doubles pair there, and we'll be following the action. Okay, thank you so much, and thanks for having me, guys. Have a lovely weekend. Thanks, Jeff. Keep well. At SAFM Radio and at Tabiso Musia on Twitter. And let's talk rugby now. The South African teams are back in Super Rugby action this weekend following the Test Series against England. And our man, uh, Craig Ray, joins us on the line. Craig, good evening and thank you for your time. Hi, good evening, Sabisa. Thanks. Give us a reminder here, Craig, who still has something to play for as far as the South African teams are concerned. <laughs> yeah, it feels like a million years ago, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the Lions, of course, are on top of the South African conference standings and you know, they they in pole position and they've got their own destiny in their hand. The Sharks are fighting for a position uh, and the Jaguares from Argentina sit second on the uh, South African conference. So, uh, you know, they, they could upset the Sharks and get that second position. They're currently in seventh on the overall log. Um, so it's not looking good for the Sharks. They have to start with a victory over the Lions this weekend, I would think. And uh, the Lions welcoming back Warren Whiteley. He starts. Is he ready to start? Is he, is he fit enough from what you've had? Yeah, well, what I've heard, I mean, they wouldn't select him. I don't think if he, was, if he wasn't fit enough to start. It's an interesting thing, though, isn't it? Uh, you suddenly look at this Lions team, and they've got six Springboks in the pack. Oh. They didn't have that before the, this, the break, but suddenly we've had uh, you know, Quacker Smith earn a test cap, Marvin Ori earn a test cap, and out back you've got Ipiwe Dianti who's earned a test cap. So suddenly the Lions team is just full of uh, Springboks all over it. Um, yeah, Whiteley, good to see him back, and it's important because Dwayne Vermeulen, who was so good, in the June series for the Springboks is not going to be available for the rugby championship because of Japanese club yeah. commitments. And so, you know, we need a, an eighth man and Whiteley's now got a chance to step into to Dwayne Vermeulen's boots and show what he's worth uh, with an eye to the rugby championship as well. Well, the Sharks also have a lot of Springboks in their ranks, especially after this test series. How do you see this one going um, at Kings Park, Craig? It's a tough one to call, really. I mean, they're both sides, as you've just pointed out, packed with Springboks. I think the Sharks are desperate, and they're at home, uh, and uh, I just think they've got, they're going to be desperate enough to cause a little bit of an upset, which, of course, brings the Jaguars into the picture mm. for overall top spot. And uh, the Stormers going to the Jaguars, a lot's been said about Siakolisi travelling with the team. Apparently, the coach, Rassi, had said that he needs he needs a rest. What do you make of that? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I don't understand the fact that all these Springboks Wilco Lowe and Sia Khaleesi in particular have played almost every minute of every game for the Stormers this year, and they played a lot of rugby. Um, the Stormers are out of contention in terms of making the playoffs, and taking these guys overseas and playing them, to me, seems yeah, not a, not a decision in the, the best interests of South African rugby. I can understand why Robbie Flex done it. His job's on the line. His team's only won five of 14 games this year. He needs a couple of wins just to... You know, end the season on a high note. But in terms of the bigger picture for South African rugby, I don't think it's a great decision. And finally, the Bulls travelling to uh, uh, Singapore National Stadium. Andre Pollard leading the side there. Uh, what, how do you see that one? Yeah, I mean, the Sun Bulls were very good, weren't they, before the break? They beat the Stormers. Yeah. They, uh, they've certainly been on the up and up. Japanese rugby had a good June as well. There were some good wins for Japan in the June uh, international break. It's a tough game for the Bulls. You know, they they also out of playoff contention, but they want to end their season on a high, and uh, it's not going to be an easy win. I, I actually suspect the Sun Wolves might win that one. 
Craig, I have to ask you this. Alton Yankees was really not convincing at Newlands there against England in the rain. He had to be taken, uh, he had to be taken out. I mean, how's his confidence and uh, how's his confidence and how do you see him handling the situation going forward? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? He wasn't good. Um, I think he'll be the first to admit that as well. It was difficult conditions, let's be honest. It was not the easiest game for a fly-off. And the Springbok pack was going backwards in that game. But even so, um, you know, he probably feels he could have done a bit better. So his confidence will have taken a knock. But one thing about the Lions, I think he knows in the Lions environment particularly, he's the undisputed number one fly-off in the Springbok. Of course, he was pretty much number two to Andre Pollard this June. So that might have had a, an effect on his confidence. I reckon he'll be a lot better for the Lions. I think he'll be feeling a lot more at home in the Lions environment. And, uh, yeah, he's a resilient character. And I expect he'll be pretty well tomorrow, actually. Okay, great stuff. Craig, thank you. Always a pleasure speaking to you. We'll catch up again soon. Thanks a lot. We'll chat soon. Leading Sport Stories of the Day on SAFM. There is so much to talk about. So much seems to be happening this weekend. Also, Formula One, three races and on three consecutive weekends, as I mentioned earlier on there in Austria this weekend. And Natalie Leclerc is following the action for us. Natalie, good evening. What happened today at practice? Good evening, Tabiso. And it's been headed by Lewis Hamilton in both free practice sessions. As you rightly pointed out in what is the second of Formula One's first, and probably last triple header. Now, Mercedes, of course, have brought an engine upgrade to the last race, if you remember correctly, in France. Mm. And this weekend, of course, they've brought an aerodynamic and chassis upgrade, some even calling the new Mercedes a B-spec car, that the vast amount of upgrades that they brought to the Grand Prix this weekend. And it seems to have paid dividends so far. So what are you expecting this weekend? Uh, look, the Austrian circuit or the Red Bull ring, rather, is very much a power-dominant circuit. So we should see Ferrari and Mercedes to the fore. What we see from the picture painted so far on Friday is that Mercedes seems to definitely hold the edge over one-lap pace. But perhaps not so surprisingly, Sebastian Vettel turned quite an impressive pace on the ultra and the soft compound tyre. Uh, which are the two of the three compounds available this weekend. So the Ferrari at this stage looks a quicker car in the long run pace, but Mercedes definitely still hold the edge in terms of qualifying. And we, of course, know how important qualifying is if you want to go into controlling the race on Sunday. But we also have to add that there will be an extra DRS zone this weekend, making it three in total, which should encourage and make overtaking a little bit more easier should you find yourself stuck behind another car. Finally, I mentioned three races in, on three consecutive weekends. It's a crucial period of the season. Is Mercedes starting to break away from the pack here? I know. I, I hesitate to say that. They were certainly quite uh, well on their way in France, but it was really the first time we've seen since Spain earlier this season uh, that Mercedes have really taken a race by the scruff of the neck and so to Lewis Hamilton uh, and went away with it. But we didn't really see the full potential of what Sebastian Vettel could deliver last weekend because he, of course, had that incident with Valtteri Bottas. Should it be a clean weekend, I think Ferrari will still be, uh, in terms of long-run pace, if not ahead of Mercedes, definitely nipping at their gearbox. Okay, great stuff. Natalie, always a pleasure talking to you. We'll catch up again on Monday to get a review of what happened over the weekend. Thank you very much. Go well.
And from Formula One, we move on to golf. I told you for me the big story of the past week, which was unfortunately overshadowed by the World Cup, was Siobhan Rebula winning there the British the Amateur Championships. And he joins us on the line. Siobhan, good evening. Thank you for joining us on SAFM. Hi, good evening, man. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate that. Has it sunk in yet what you achieved, what you've done? Um, I mean, as time went on, it sinks in every day a little bit. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's so, it's so tough to think that it, be, that it becomes a reality. You know, it's, uh, it's a little bit different. And, you know, I'm just looking forward to everything. And, you know, I'm going to take grab the opportunity with both hands. But, yeah, you know, it's still, still it's, it's, it's a dream that's just come true. And, and going into these amateur championships, I mean, realistically, what were you expecting? Were you, did you really believe that you could go and win? Well, obviously, the the goal is for me in every tournament is to go out and try and win the golf tournament. You know, I got a, I got a saying that sits in my yardage book. It says "play to win." You know, and I mean, I think I've done that pretty well. I mean, I don't know. It's just been it's just been so crazy, and it just felt like everything was happening so fast. But you know, at the end of the day, it's just you know every tournament that I tear up, I, I you know every golfer, I, I would hope you know plays to win the golf tournament. So yeah, it was definitely a goal of mine to reach the final of the tournament. You know, and to end up winning the winning the amateur championship was just unbelievable, you know. When at which stage do you know that you were the first South African to lift the trophy since uh, Bobby Cole in 1966? Were you aware of that stat? Well, I mean, everyone's just been making a huge scene about that the whole week. You know, yeah. it's, it was that's the moment I got to the quarterfinals and semifinals. You know, all journalists were coming up to me, and they, you know, their questions obviously were also, you know, do you know when was the last South African to win this golf tournament? You know, and and we spoke about it, and but to be honest with you, it didn't really phase me that much. You know, it's just I've been I've been out there I've been out there just to play golf. You know, and you know things like that didn't bother me as much during the golf tournament. You know, for some reason I've been surprising. I've just been very calm throughout the whole week. You know, I just had mm-hmm. a, a piece over my heart. You know, and it's just been it's just been unbelievable. It's, it's been a great ride and an unbelievable experience. Well, your win allows you to. Going to the British Open at Carnusti next year's US Open at Pebble Beach. Also an invitation to the Masters next year. Realistically, are you setting yourself any targets here? Yeah, I mean, obviously, still oh. play to win, you know. It's, but, I mean, I'm obviously, this is, these are going to be tournaments that I'm just going to enjoy, you know, take take all the possible experience that I can out of the whole event, of, of these all of these events, you know, and, you know, just try and get on the radar, you know. That's what all of us try and do is just to set a mark, you know, and, I'm going to try and play my best golf possible and, you know, we'll, we never know what can happen. We're going to just, just go out and enjoy the experience and hopefully, you know, just take the opportunity by the horns and, you know, try and play to win. And I guess you'll be playing the practice round at Carnoustie then with a certain any else. You must yeah. be looking forward to that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it should be good. I think me and my uncle are going to stay together um, for this event. So we're mm. going to have the whole week with each other, you know, which I'm thoroughly looking forward to. Um, you know, being able to play, just have a social round of golf with them is, you know, it's something that I dream of every day, I used to dream of. And, you know, now being able to, to actually play a major event with them is just going to be unbelievable, an un- unbelievable experience. And I think it's going to be something special. And what did, what has it said to you, uh, Siobhan, after this win? I mean, so I, I, had the, I, had the, I was grateful enough to get the opportunity to go see him after the golf tournament. You know, I had an early flight the next morning after the golf tournament and, you know, I was supposed to stay at the airport for a couple of hours, you know, and he invited me over to come come over to their place because they live pretty close to Heathrow. And, you know, we got to spend the whole day together, you know, and just talk about things and, you know, just, just have the, the opportunity just to, like, talk to him about, you know, 
the major championships, you know, and how to prepare for that and all stuff like that. So, yeah, we got to spend a good bit of time together, and, you know, I'm very grateful for um, what he's done for me over my life and things like that. So, but, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this whole, to this whole event. Has he been a big part of your golfing career? To some point, yeah. I mean, when I was younger, I didn't have, I didn't really have the opportunity to see him much. Um, but with me being in America right now, studying in America right yeah. now, it, it, it helps a lot. You know, I can, I, I phone him on a regular basis. You know, and we would talk, and he would send me messages back and forth. Um, but yeah, obviously, you know, now more than ever, he's he's been a part of my my golfing career. You know, and we can always just talk about stuff. And he's such a, a he's such an unbelievable person to talk to. You know. I mean, he's been on he's been on some some high stages, you know, which it's sometimes undescribable, you know. And just to be able to have someone to talk to about things like that, you know, is really something special and something that I'm grateful for. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've been spending a lot more time together and stuff like that. And you know, set another extra week at the British Open is just going to be unbelievable. Well, well done. You deserve it, young man. Thank you very much, Siobhan, for joining us on SAFM. We just wanted to catch up with you and just highlight what you've done. And we wish you all the best going forward. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. Thanks, man. 20-year-old Siobhan Rebula, they're winning the British Amateur title and is booked a spot at the Open, the US Open, and the Masters. Unbelievable story. And we're certainly going to follow his career there. He's based in the US, as you said. I think he's at the University of Alabama. That's where he is, uh, Siobhan. So one to look out for, definitely. Up next, we speak to Chopsipuka. For the story behind the action, catch Tabiso Musia weekdays at 7 p.m. And he's with us in studio, as we always do on a Friday. We go back, way back, back in time. We try to uh, educate the young ones here, who, uh, especially those born after 2010, they only know the World Cup and nothing else about South African sports. So we try to use this opportunity just to educate and to catch up with our sporting heroes from yesteryear. And one of my sporting heroes from back in the day growing up was a certain guy called Chopsipuka, motor racing champion, a black guy. I couldn't understand how he got into motor racing, but we followed him. Uh, there was also a Philip Kekana and uh, the late Kukuzulu, of course, and those were the three guys that we knew. But back in the Eastern Cape, our guy was uh, Chopsipuka, and then the rest followed after that. And he's with us. Good evening, Chops. Thank you for joining us in studio. Oh, thank you very much for having me, and a very good evening to the listeners. I do see you on TV once in a while, still talking about motorsport. Is that your only involvement now within the sport? Or are you still involved? No, it's my only involvement. I mean, I'm out, uh, I do the show review on uh, Super Sport on Absolute Formula One. Mm. And that's my involvement as far as it's concerned now. Mm. So, um, did you? When did you stop? Actually, when did you like stop racing? Well, and I, did you make a decision to retire at the time? Yeah, look, I made. A, I think I made a very good decision at the time to to stop. Um, and this was going back 2013 towards yeah. the end of 2013. That's when I. It was my last season in a in a racing car, mm. and um, I I decided I should just uh, let the youngsters carry on, and I should just focus on running my businesses now. And how many years were you had you been racing for when you decided to retire? I started in nineteen ninety eight, mid nineteen ninety eight, and and then I retired and in twenty thirteen. So I had a, I think I had a very good fair seventeen year stint in the sport. How did you get involved, Chopsipuka? Because we used to read about you in the papers, racing at Aldo Scribanto, wherever you were racing. How did you get involved in, in, in this sport? You know, it's quite a, it's quite a, a I, I normally, you know, people talk about uh, incidences, you know, it's a, it's a coincidence. I, I, I always said it was a, 
a god incident that oh. I, I I followed motorsport, an international uh, platform would have been a role model like Etienne Senna and back at home would oh. have been the likes of your Terry Moss, Mike Briggs, uh, Seraph and the Merva. You're so used to follow that. Oh. And um, in that process, uh, growing up in the Transkei in very rural areas, you know, you, you don't put two and two together that oh. you would be in that platform. So it's always good to dream, but let's to know the my dream did come true. Uh, a very close relative of ours, Vusi Majaja at the time, used to be with uh, British Petroleum. Oh. And um, he was friends with friends uh, that were friends to Terry Moss, and they happened to meet at a restaurant, and they started talking about transformation in motorsport at the time in 1998, beginning 1998. And um, Terry said, look, I think we've tried before, and it was like looking for a needle in the haste. You know, you couldn't really find black guys who were oh. very confident enough to be able to break in the right breaking areas, etc., etc." And it could have been quite daunting at the time because uh, quite really nobody was in the sport at the time. Uh-huh. So when they got together, uh, I, 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 get, I got Terry's number and I kept calling him you know, to give me a test. But fortunately, at the time, I was doing uh, mechanical engineering okay. at East London Tech. So I had to do my internship. And then I came to Port Elizabeth to do my internship. And on the last day, I, I started testing a racing car, of course, because of the influence of Terry. And from day one, when I was testing a racing car, it was just one second of the pace. So huh. it shocked me as well. <laughs> Is that when you realized you could make a career out of this? Absolutely. <laughs> so when you were studying mechanical engineering, was it an interest of yours or, 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 or always? It's, it's, I've always had the passion for cars. So um, through that, I, I, I sort of gravitated towards the, the career of motorsport. So uh, everything just worked for the good. Oh. It worked for the good. And and did the people around you realize that you could be a champion? Or like you said, it was more of a matter of transformation uh, that took priority more than anything else? I surprised myself and I think I surprised the world. Uh, primarily because it, it had never been seen before. Um, uh, um, a, b- a black guy that comes from a rural village. I didn't go through the carting route because oh. I, I didn't make sense to me. I didn't even understand it. I just got straight into a saloon car and I pedaled the saloon car to pole. And everything just worked like a charm from there. Huh. And and what would you say are some of your career highlights? I've got a whole resume here of what you've done. I didn't realize you actually done so much in the in, in in the world of motorsport. But what would be some of your of your of your career highlights? I think tell me so. Everything in my career has been has been great. It's been wonderful because it's been a game changer from 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 day one. I mean, winning a championship has its own different uh, appeal and it's got its own different um, emotions attached to it so every championship was different um, every experience overseas was different I mean I took place in the first 25 hour race in the world oh. in a Beetle Fun Cup in Belgium uh, it, it's, it's just been unbelievable so every time we go through those pictures with my family I always say geez I can't believe you know watching Formula One I actually raced in some of the circuits that the Formula One calendar goes through mm. was was 2000 the breakthrough year for you I believe so mm. I believe so it's it, it sort of indicated whether we were going to make it or not there was a lot of uh, preparation in the background uh, uh, self education about how the car behaves and with uh, a team that also wanted to see me win 
And and from there, because we worked as a team, everything sort of gelled together. But most importantly, I think one of the fundamental key elements in, in, in my career has been a lot of support from the family uh-huh. and, and, and people in my home village, um, elderly people, young guys, um, and a lot of, I, I, I would say, a, a lot of intercession in terms of prayer because you know for for a man of of color to go into that sport everybody oh. believed geez this is a bit dangerous oh. i mean how could you be driving cars at those high speeds so there's a lot of um, uh prayer that's that's involved in those in the in, in, in something of that nature well Ngaba on twitter is saying chops was such an urban legend in the eastern cape because of his driving that they had to put him on he had a story book uh, come up is that how you describe your your career <laughs> storybook come up because <laughs> you are a hero to many of us did you realize the impact that you actually made at the time i don't you know i i what i do what i did understand it was there was quite a lot of pressure on me and um as a black driver as a black driver it felt like i i, I sort of carried or, or or i had to sort of carry the load of representing a black nation oh. driving a car and that nobody who had been ahead of me, who had broken into those barriers internationally and here becoming the first black national motorsport champion in, yeah. in, in South Africa. What was good about it was that I, I raced against some of the best drivers in the country. And to beat them in their own game, it really felt good. Well, if you've just joined us, we are talking to Chops Sipuka. If you have any questions or any comments, feel free to call us on 0891-104-207 right here on SAFM. You can hashtag SAFM spot on on social media. You can, you can tag us also if you want to ask if you have any comments. But just before I take a quick break, I just want to read some of his, of his achievements. I'll start. I don't know where to start, Chops. 98 <laughs> nominators, nominators as the first and only driver of color in the world to drive a Mercedes Benz Super Race Truck from Germany in the Continental Tire Series in South Africa. Uh, competed in the 25-hour Fun Cup race. You mentioned that in Belgium. Finished ninth in the Engine Polo Cup Championships. And then 2000, you made history becoming the first racer of color to win a national status race. That's when the ANC released that green and yellow statement. You finished fourth in the Engine Polo Cup Championships. You were the first driver of color to ever receive provincial colors. In 2001, awarded with the Drivers of the Year's Award and the Victor Luderam Award. You made history by becoming the first race of color to lead a national status championship. You achieved 12 pole positions, 12 wins, 14 podium finishes out of 20 races. A first for the engine Volkswagen record book. You finished second overall in the engine Volkswagen Cup championship. <laughs> that is only three years that I'm counting and there's so much more uh, that we're going to talk about with Chop Sepulka after this break. <laughs> Call Tabiso now, 891 uh, We are still reminiscing, going back in time with Chops Sipuka, just to understand his racing a career and, and, and some of the challenges that he went through. Tell us about some of the challenges. I mean, you speak a lot about being the first black driver. You speak a lot about how you had to carry the expectations of a lot of people. I was just saying to you off air that we never even got to see most of these races on TV, but we knew about you. We knew about Chops. We would follow Chops' career. We had to get the paper to find out how Chops is, is doing. What were some of the challenges, though, at the time? Look, I think challenges. Sometimes you 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 come across uh, the the cultural barrier, and you. I did well at at, at beginning. I did come across some uh, racial tendencies amongst my 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 peers or amongst the guys I used to race with, but that didn't really 
bother me. I think I, I understood where, where I was, what I wanted to do, and all that matters was that I was getting the necessary support with the team that I was oh. driving for. So those intense pressures, they didn't really uh, deter me from what I wanted to achieve. We all wanted to achieve a, 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 a championship. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, we got the first one, and there was the hunger to go to the second one. And, and, and that was it. But, I mean, it was always intense. There was never a weekend where it was never intense. It was either we, we, there were car wars. We were either colliding with other drivers. Oh. They were taking me out. I was taking them out. So what really did earn me the respect was, uh, I remember, we, I think we were doing Midval. I think I, I retired two, t two cars there uh, from the same team. The one took me out the first heat, I came in the second heat, I took it out, and, and it was a write-off. And, and then I think everybody then realized, geez, this guy's here to stay, you know. We're going to scare him and, and put him against the wall, and he's going to say, look, I'm backing off. So I stood my ground. I, I, I didn't go out there and, and mess other people's championships. But in that process, I think those people who were my rivals, who, who we didn't get along, it's strange to say, at the end, I ended up getting along with them very well. Were you ever doubted sometimes on the track just because of, of the color of your skin? People asking, why are you here? No, of course, yes. You know, even when I went overseas, when I, when, I mean, I was going to get into a Biddle Fun Cup to do the 25-hour race. They asked, who's this guy? They said, well, uh, we don't know, but we know it was Judge Imavoy. Terry Moss had a friend in, in, in Belgium at the time, and uh, that's the guy that organized... Um, us to get into the Beatle Fun Cup. So everybody else, always an underdog, was really underestimated. We qualified on pole in Belgium, and uh, oh. because I was a guest driver, I had to hand over the car to uh, the guys that were in the team. So those guys did the first team, the third team. So I got into the car at about 3 a.m. or 2 a.m. in the morning. The car was lying 18th. I brought it down to third, and I had to give it over again to the team. So it's quite an interesting one. So I drove the car with one light, and I never understood there was a language barrier. Someone was saying in the background, Nolito, Nolito, sir. I said, Terry, I don't understand these guys. You know, they're coming on the radio saying, oh. Nolito, Nolito. So Terry said, I don't understand too, but I'll find out. But when he found out, the, the Nolito signal was like, uh, there are no lights, no lights. So Terry oh. then got back and says, no, leave him. In the trans guy, there are no lights, no <laughs> lights. Nolito, Nolito. So it was quite funny, you know. So there have been good moments. There have been... Uh, bad moments, but it's, it's part of life. You go mm. through the valleys and you just learn to navigate your way out of those problems. Back in the day when we when we followed motorsport, I mean, we'd speak about you, we'd speak about Philip Kakana and Guguzulu, and that was about it. Were you guys close at the time? I know maybe you could have raced in different eras a bit mm. and not the same age, but were you mm. close? Were you a close-knit uh, community? I... I, 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 I I, I believe I was close to, uh, very close to Philip. Oh. Uh, we were close with Gugu, and I think our closeness with Gugu came as a result of having raced from Joburg to Cape Town. We were part of a, a, a something that was organized uh, called the Fireball Run. So we were racing uh, these cars in different parts of the country, in, in circuits and on streets, so they would blockade streets. So that's where we sort of got an understanding of where we were, where, what we wanted to do. I think the last I spoke to Google before he went to Kilimanjaro, he was trying to convince me to come back into the sport. He oh. says, no, you've got to come back. You've got to come back. And I've been saying, look, I don't know if it's still there for me. Is, this, is there anything there for me? And what car would I drive or what team would I drive for? Because I decided to sort of stay away from the sport and just carry on with life. You know, it is... Oh. So it, it was taking quite a toll, uh, a toll on me. Uh, I wasn't 
winning as much races as I as I was before. So I decided for some of the reasons, uh, I I said, no, this is not enough. This is not good for me anymore. So let me just back off. Mm. Well, we thought that, um, I mean, after your time, during your time, or after your time with Gugu, with Philip, uh, and with yourself, there would be a breakthrough, there would be a new generation. But I still don't see these uh, black drivers coming through, or maybe I'm not just I'm not following it as I used to back in the day. I see the youngsters coming through. I mean, we've heard about Sisangebulana Jr. We know about your little cousin. Also, we spoke to him, Mukwanda. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but has the scene changed? The scene hasn't changed because I, 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 they've been very fortunate that they've had fathers who have had um, financial backing to propel them into the sport. Oh. I didn't have that. I, I, it is, uh, and again, I always say it was sort of a God incident where I met somebody who I looked at as a mentor in motorsport. I come in, I drive for him, I race overseas, I win a championship. And basically, my career has been propelled by by sponsorship from corporate companies, you know. Uh, so that's what really carried me along along the way. More oh. importantly, um, discipline had been part of the journey. Oh. Let's go to the lines. Mr. Pillay joins us. Uh, Mr. Pillay in Cape Town, are you with us? Good evening, Deviso. Nice to Good. hear again you. And Thanks, also, Mr. Jobs, you know, I want to salute this legend from Eastern Cape. Because I want to ask him a question, you know. Look, the time he got into this particular sports arena, it was a very tough time because you remember that the economic situations of the Africans, mainly blacks, actually was not. But now we see a lot of people, at least we can see that they can afford to get into this expensive line. But we don't see that much of him back like him, or, you know, against all the odds he manages to get into this level. But we don't see this, you know. I work for education. I'm a director with education. Even in schools, you know, when you go, we are not hearing children speaking about it. And we can't say it's because there is no money. Or, because even yeah. him, jobs are coming from not a background where he could have managed. But we yeah. don't see that vibe, you know. So what may be the reason? Because things have changed. Yes, not everybody's life has not changed. But since uh, 1994, definitely the economic situation in most of the African homes have changed, you know, many of them. So why it is not happening, you know? Okay, great question, Mr. Pillay. I'm going to take a quick break. I'll let you answer that, uh, Chops, because I think it's what we were touching on um, also just before the question came through. But nice one, Mr. Pillay. We'll get Chops to answer that after this break. For the story behind the action, catch Tabiso Musia weekdays at 7 p.m. Chops, that question from Mr. Pillay, I think it's a very interesting question, and I think that's what I was trying to ask you. Why are they not coming through now? Because the opportunities are there now. Yeah, well, thank you, Mr. Pillay. I, I, you know, I've got to choose my, ca- my words very carefully when I answer this one. But I, 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 I firmly believe uh, in this day and age, there should have been uh, some governmental support in, in, in motorsport to see uh, drivers of color and generally other drivers coming through. But we lack that. And, and, and more importantly, remember, my career has never been propelled by my parents having deep pockets. That's oh. why I always refer to, to saying it was a, a God incident that it happened that way. My career, the better part of it has been petrol, was, was uh, propelled by engine petroleum. Second leg of it was Cecil. Amazing that these uh, fuel companies have been part of this journey. Mm. But um, in, 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 in a nutshell, we, you need to, government needs to recognize it and say, we have to have a man of color who succeeds in the sport. At a time, 
uh, where I was trying to get into the international arena, nobody, nobody supported me. Nobody would oh. support me. You know, everything was just trial and error. And, 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 and some of the things worked because all those tests, not once did I crash a car. And I was quite quick on an international platform where I'd never driven before, like ovals testing in America, doing Indy, and uh, doing tests in Malaysia, uh, Sepang, uh, driving a Formula Renault uh, three-liter, three points, the, the, the V6. Oh. Um, but government has got to take a, a step oh. because th these corporates are, don't owe anybody, to say yeah. the least. They owe... Nobody. Oh. Uh, and that's why you find uh, Kwanda, you find Sisa Jr. Th oh. Those guys are propelled by their own father's pockets, oh. to say the least. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, that's just how the cookie crumbles. I mean... Uh, Who was in charge during your time? Was it the Reverend Stofile? He was in charge. The, the only minister who, who this thing resonated very well with oh. was um, Mr. Nwande Balfour. Oh. I remember at the time... I had I, I had just got a, a, a an email from Germany to come and race Formula Volkswagen in Germany, oh. and there were going to be uh, I think ten races, and everything was paid for, for by Volkswagen Germany at the time. Uh, unfortunately, the guy that had, had structured the deal was on his way out, so the guy that took over didn't want to sort of follow through the program. But I I, I met the minister uh, on the Balfour at the time, and I needed flights uh -huh. and. Sitting over a table, he picked up the phone and phoned Mr. Andre Ferrun at the time, who was uh, CEO of SAA. In a week's time, my flights were arranged. I flew yeah. to Germany. That's how quick it happened. So these things can happen when people want them to happen. It's just the unfortunate part that these guys are not really interested in. in I mean, Mr. Kengesi Stofilis once said to me when I got a, a, a test drive with Porsche oh. uh, in the Super Cup, um, he said, no, we don't recognize motorsport as sport. And I thought to myself, my goodness, this is bad. Are you disillusioned, Chops? I'm not sure what to read it from you because you seem like you still have a lot to offer, but you are moving a bit away from the sport besides the TV work that you're doing. Are you disillusioned? Do you still want to give back? I could. I, I, I think there's a lot to give back. Um, it's just that it's finding the right people to work with, finding the right sponsors who share the passion and the vision and the dream to propel other youngsters to get into the sport and, 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 and take them overseas and actually transform the whole uh, sporting arena of motorsport in, in our country. It's possible. It, it can happen. You were a board member at Motorsport SA. How was your time there and your tenure? I served my tenure. I said what I needed to say. At the end of the door, I walked out. Why did you walk out? Well, my tenure came to an end. Uh, we didn't achieve as much as probably what needed to be achieved if we were talking about transformation. But, I mean, motorsport uh, mostly looks at rules, regulations, licenses, and all this. It's all the, the things of conforming with how the sport must be run. But from a, from a transformation point of view, I'm sure those every quarter, every board meeting, that transformation word keeps thrown in there but it's not going away oh. it's, it's 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 not going to happen I don't, I don't believe it's going to happen i don't know what they're doing for transformation because i'm i've been out of that place for quite some time now so is there no will well to have will you've got to have both sides oh. you know you've got to have people who understand uh, and who are willing to to see that transformation happening how it happens is something that remains to be debated
but you'd put your head on the block and say the talent is there the talent needs to be found absolutely mm. no absolutely the talent is there it's 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 all about being given a chance yeah. i mean if i looked at equal everybody. opportunities yeah i mean i mean i i grew up in a rural village there, there's one tar street all the other tar, all the other roads were um gravel roads mm. you know so if you looked at me coming into a, a test session and you say where does this guy come from no this guy comes from the transcar from what from the transcar oh jeez this guy's never going to make it is it driven carts no no then he doesn't understand what a car's capability is so i've been fortunate because i've been driving in the rural areas driving a car but not a racing car driving buggies tractors etc etc but i mean it was a god-given talent and I, and, I, and i do recognize that and i do recognize the effort in coaching and and and, and turning around my talent to what it became so when that is given to you by God, nobody can take it away. Oh, well, I want to end off with this message. One from Anonymous who says that there is no driver like Chops Sepuka currently in the country. Uh, he is legendary. And uh, where's the other one, Loyola? Oh, here it is. Uh, from Sim Untueni who says, I've met Chops once. I fell in love with his story. He knows what I want from him. And a bi- autobiography in print and audiovisual. Is that something that could happen? Well, it could happen with the right people writing the right things and uh, having the right um, company to accept that. Okay. Mm. Chapsapuka, there's so much to talk to you about. I think we need you on a regular basis here um, on SAFM just to, to understand a bit more about the motorsport industry. Um, because it seems like there's a lot here that we need to talk, to talk about. But we appreciate you finding time to talk to us coming into studio. We just thought we should just remind the people of who you are and what you've done and look back at the career. We celebrate your career. People can never forget how you make them feel. We might not have seen some of your races on TV, uh, but we used to follow you back pages. We used to read about you and you really, really opened the doors. I think for many, it's a pity that people have been followed through. And we wish you all the best in whatever you're doing going forward, but you still need to get involved. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chops Sipuka. Thank you, Luyolo. Thank you, Sylvester in Technical. Thank you. My name is Tabiso Mosia for SAFM Spot On.